Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome back to Episode 67 of That's So Second Millennium. This is the third and final part of our interview with Marine Kondik. Bill kicks us off by shifting the discussion back from the culture of scientists to the culture at large. Marine discusses the difficulties of, for example, arguing people out of a position they didn't argue themselves into. She goes on to talk about how people's viewpoints change when their experiences change, including a lawyer who found himself shifting from the uh, pro-choice side to facing the question of working on a fetal pain uh, lawsuit. Bill asks a little bit more about fetal pain versus the heartbeat side of the argument, and Maureen tries to carefully draw some nuances in terms of both the biology and the philosophy of what's going on there. We get back at the end to talk about twinning a little bit, which is just fascinating to me for all the reasons I explained in the last episode. We also talk some about the extreme complexity in human sexual dimorphism, so the, the question of the hormones that govern our the growth of our external visible anatomy to our hormonal sex interiorly, how it affects our attitudes and a whole bunch of other things. And then, of course, the sense of gender. Um, and even that doesn't uh, do justice to the entire complexity. So some intriguing stuff about twinning sexuality and people's thoughts and attitudes and whether they're rational or not about uh, arguments about sexuality and identity. So, without any further ado, our final piece of the Marine Condic interview. And does that phenomenon in the scientific world have an analog in the political and policy <laughs> world, such that uh, people don't want to... Uh, the that, the phenomenon kind of in the scientific world is a subset of the, yeah, the general yeah, human yeah. tendency, yeah. the legacy of original sin, whatever you want to call it. Right. <laughs> but it does, it, it does seem to help explain the intractability of things like the abortion debate. You know. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know... <laughs> Not that we should open up the top, the topic of abortion, but yeah. I think I think many many things contribute to this, including people's unwillingness to to look squarely at the facts, people's willingness to immediately turn uh, a presentation of the facts into a common attack. Yeah, that if you're going to assert that a human embryo is a human person or a human being, um, you're just saying that because, right? You know, because you're a Catholic, because you're because you're you're an ideologue, because you're or you're a hater or a shamer or something. Or that's yeah, right. yeah. yeah, so we can we can throw a name at you because you've said something that makes it challenging for us to to yeah. maintain the, the position that yeah. we'd like. But that's not all of it. You know, it's not like people wake up in the morning and, you know, suddenly find themselves a pro abortion person. I mean <laughs> people wake up in the morning and they find themselves a person who's who's very, very sympathetic to women and wants women's uh, freedom to be optimized, and wants uh, to to uh, make a level playing field in the economic world. Yeah. Um, maybe they wake up and find that somebody they know is in a crisis pregnancy and, and doesn't know what to do and is, yeah. is suffering. That's how people wake up. Yeah. And they formulate their views on abortion based on those experiences, not on yeah. the facts. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, and those are different. Well, I mean. Not all of those are factual, but you know the situation of waking up and yes, this person I know is in a crisis pregnancy. Yes, and you know what are all the societal factors that went into governing why she had a sexual encounter with this person? 
when she doesn't want to be pregnant. What 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 causes that? And we don't want to we don't want to look at that either. Um, well, it's it's just tough. I think you know the the ongoing debates over complicated topics like this are. You know, I'm fond of saying you, you can't reason people out of a position they didn't reason themselves into in the first place. Oh, yeah. And when people yeah. find themselves supporting a particular position out of, out of emotional life experiences and out of conviction mm-hmm. and out of, out of beliefs that, that perhaps they've never really questioned, um, you, you, you can't, laying out the facts for someone like this doesn't help them. Really, yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. But is there still uh, real value in having those facts? Oh yeah, laid out. Oh, yeah, I, I do my best. I, like I say, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fly all over the world, and you know, with with uh, for food, because because we'll talk for food we'll, and plane we'll tickets. Yeah. Food and plane tickets. Yeah. Yes. Um, because because it does help people to to have. To have the information laid out for them, and on this particular topic, on the, the question of life begins, there's actually a relatively simple and um, uncontroversial answer to it. A lot of the controversy uh, gets manufactured when you move up from the question of when does human life begin to the question of when does that life have value? Mm-hmm. When is it the subject of rights? Yeah. And that's a political question, not a scientific question. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's an ethical and moral question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's really where the world needs to go. I mean, I think I think that it's actually been fairly encouraging in the last fifteen years that the that the scientific arguments about this used to be very very shrill. You know, a lot mm. of people asserting there's no consensus in the field and no yeah. one knows and right. fertilization is a process and yeah. development is a continuum and yeah. and yet a lot of that has dropped away. And even even you know the, the most honest people on both sides are, are willing to say, yeah sure it's a human being. But but we deny rights to human beings all the time. And, that's true. You that's know, true. we do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you know, maybe this is a case where where the rights of the mom trump the rights of the of the fetus or the embryo. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, that to me is a step forward because that's an honest debate. I mean, yeah. that yeah. Yeah. We put it out on the table. Debate. This is what we're actually doing. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not talking about clumps of cells and all the other nonsense that you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. just disinformation. Yeah. I mean, it's completely yeah. false. Yeah. Um, we're now actually. Debating something that mm-hmm. I mean, I still think there's only one clear answer to this question, but right. but right. it yeah. can be debated. Yeah, I mean, we do deny rights to people based on all sorts of criteria. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, of course, and we and we deny responsibilities to people because they're not able to absorb them. Which I don't know where I'm going with that comment, but you know, that's <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, are you hopeful yeah. uh, about? Uh, <laughs> Resolution, no. not necessarily a divorce debate. I don't want to get political either, but uh, these these kinds of things that really are uh, scientifically based, but also with all of the complications that come with human nature, yeah. Yeah. and all of that is is is. Yeah, it sounds like you think we are making some progress, or could make some progress, because there are uh, unrecognized areas of agreement. I think I am optimistic that in the end. Um, the battle has already been won. We have the resurrection, right? And 
as much as it doesn't feel this way, we are in the end game. You know, we, the forces of darkness, will be defeated. Hmm. And we just have to play our part. So maybe my part is I, I like to communicate. I, I have a great love for the human embryo and, and for embryology in general and just the magic of what happens. And I have a great respect for the truth and for facts, mm-hmm. for evidence. And I want the debate to be on that level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I ha- and I have seen, I have seen it move more so that way. And I think that's a complicated thing. I think, I think women have become much more sophisticated, uh, largely due to ultrasound. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, people, the whole ball of cells thing really isn't working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when people can see, yeah. you know, what, what's, what's yeah. inside there and, you know, what it looks yeah. like. And, <laughs> yeah. and people are, you know, they get there. They get there slowly. I'll tell you another story. I had a great, <laughs> I tell the story a lot because unlike the one that makes me want to cry, this one always makes me want to laugh. But, right. Um, I had a, uh, an attorney contact me once um, to question whether I would be willing to testify on the topic of fetal pain okay. in a lawsuit against a hospital mm-hmm. for wrongful death. And a component of the lawsuit was, was um, suing on behalf of fetus who had been inappropriately aborted. All right. Um, or so they claim that. Mm-hmm. And so you get better damages if there was pain mm-hmm. and suffering involved, right? Uh-huh. So he wanted to know when... You know, in, in fetal development, you would, you would have a likelihood of, of having an experience of pain. And uh, the attorney was very uncomfortable contacting me. Uh, right. I think uncomfortable with the case in general. Yeah. Um, but spent a long time uh, uh, propping up his, his credentials as a feminist and, you know, pro-women. And he had, he had been an abortion litigator for decades and yeah. prosecuted dozens of cases, you know, and he has... The, Firm right. conviction that a woman had a right to an abortion no matter what at any time, mm-hmm. under all circumstances, blah, 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 And I'm like, okay. Do you have so any idea who you're talking to? Doing this case. <laughs> so something changed. What What? what uh, was the change? Was, yeah. Well, I got married. And we, got, we had a kid. And, you know, I saw, I saw the ultrasound at 20 weeks. Did you know? Yeah, uh, fingers. <laughs> Twenty weeks. I'm like looking at this. Okay, uh-huh. I'm like an embryologist. Right, right. <laughs> and, and besides yeah. that, you're a GP who has spent, you know, by your own uh-huh. admission, a decade, uh-huh. and you never bothered, yeah, never once, yeah, to actually look at like a high school textbook, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. To know that yeah, they have fingers at 20 weeks. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fingers at like yes. you know five yes. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> But it was news to him, you know, and he was an educated person. Oh, yeah. And a person who had had ample motivation to look into the facts. Mm -hmm. But what compelled him to find you? Yeah. An emotional reason. Right. An emotional reason. He had a motivation of curiosity about himself and about his own progeny. Right. And he wanted to know something about it for the first time. And for the first time, it was Mm -hmm. decoupled from the assumptions from the firmly held convictions he had about a woman's right to abortion at any time, he actually needed the facts. And so that that is where the truth comes out. When people recognize they need the facts. Yeah. yeah. But that there's some uh, uh, room for both the facts and the emotional side, the experiential yeah. side. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, maybe that's the real challenge to find that 
Patchy even, middle even brain. more complex than a philosopher and a scientist writing a book together. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but wow. it does give one hope that conversations can be held that uh, combine the two. But our culture and everything about uh, you know uh, fundraising by groups and mm-hmm. activists and all of yeah. that—they militate against those kinds of more complex conversations. I think, but we we can we can promote it. We as humans need to spend more time listening and asking questions than lecturing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when when I encounter people who have very very different views than I do on this, and, you know, my first question is, can you help me understand why? Yeah. Why you feel that way about this? Yeah. Um, you know what's what is motivating you, and how aware are you of, of the facts? And did the facts actually change anything? Yeah. If it wasn't all of cells, yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Really, yeah. Would yeah. that, would that yeah. make it any That's different? The yeah. 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 Percent would. Percent would. And this is actually why, as much as I, I really don't think it's a good argument scientifically, the, the fear of pain question is so compelling for people because yeah. it, it appeals to their sense of empathy and to their sense of emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so even if, well, if it's human and it was anesthetized, would you care if it was? No, it's not feeling pain, right? I mean, <laughs> would, no. that be, would that be right. a problem? Mm-hmm. I would still have a problem because of the human part. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't feel good about, I don't feel good about capital punishment just because prisoners are anesthetized before they're put to death. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't feel yeah. good about it because I don't think we should be killing humans. Right. Yeah. It's not something that if we have any other option, we should be doing. Right. Uh, I mean, then we have other options today. It's interesting that the uh, the fetal pain uh, argument uh, tends more toward the emotional side Mm -hmm. of the conversation, and the heartbeat argument that's now prominent in some state debates, I think, aims more toward the factual side. Uh, I think it also. I think they're both. I think the heartbeat argument, because it's so much earlier in development, is trying to counteract the the ball of cells things. Yeah. You know, it's pointing to, as we, we talked earlier, the, the kind of concept of an organism and what is an organism except something that is self-directing its own maturation. Yeah. And the fact that, that one of the earliest physiologic means of, of uh, developing embryos is to have an adequate circulation, so you turn yeah. on heart development really, really early in, in yeah. the embryonic process. Yeah. So by 24, 25 days in human development, you have, you have heart. Mm-hmm. And it's very so what, what time is implantation? Inclination is about six, seven days. Okay. So in that fairly long span of time in between there, is it really kind of like the mother's blood pressure driving? I mean, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> what, how, how, do the, how, how do the nutrients, the oxygen, you know, is it simply able to diffuse across the... Uh... Um, so you establish a very primitive placental circulation, uh, an exchange, mm-hmm. circulation. An yeah. exchange between the mom and the developing embryo uh, right away. So right. by you know a few days after, you know, even immediately as as implantation is happening, you start mm-hmm. that process. But mm-hmm. at that stage, the embryo is so tiny. Mm-hmm. You know, passive diffusion does a lot. Yeah. So yeah. you don't you don't really your surface area to volume ratio yeah, is, is nice and high. Yeah, yeah. very very, yeah. very very favorable. To yeah. <laughs> so um, and and you start developing an actual placental circulation mm-hmm. driven by a very, very primitive primitive heart um, 
in in the other world mm. right away because yeah. you because growth just demands it. You, know, yeah. you yeah. start requiring you know a more efficient way of getting oxygen to all the bits and getting all the bad stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of talking. That's that's the beauty of doing this and talking to people in radically different scientific <laughs> subfields. Yes. Yeah. So I of course have the personal story about twinning that my mother's parents were both identical twins. Ah, both and, mom and dad? Yes, her mother and her father were both identical twins. And the other members of the pair also married each other. So my mother's family is this big genetics experiment they conducted oh, during the war. <laughs> wow. And to, and to realize that that is the process that happened to both of them, both pairs of them. Oh, okay. Any yeah. other um, identical twins? Identical twins on my, on my mother's side? I'm not sure. I know. I know a pair on my father's side. I mean, they're second cousins that I just happen to know better than my 300 other second cousins for very random reasons. But um, yeah, not. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm they, they haven't had it. There's, there's always been a conventional belief based largely on lack of lack of cases. Yeah. That there's not a genetic component to identifying. Right. And uh, a recent, a recent. Um, Scholarly review of medical cases has has presented a few families where there does appear to be a, a genetic to be a, component. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's very controversial. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm always on the lookout for yeah. I do not twinning running in families. Yeah, my, <laughs> so. my, neither my mother's family, my mother, her siblings, nor her genetic siblings have yeah. you know of their descendants. I'm not aware of any identical twins. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Yeah, so I always think about that. And now I know that it was not my, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I shouldn't uh, blame my high school biology textbook. It probably just didn't say. Yeah. But, uh, but I always just assumed, yeah, the, the two cells just, just split, split apart. apart. No, right. no, it's much more exciting than that. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it is, if you watch the videos, it's very compelling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, there's a lot of evidence that... that um, Early, the cells of the early embryo are very, very sticky, and they're they're constrained within this this protein coat, this yeah. that we talked yeah. about. Um, people have directly tested this idea uh, by making through manipulation, making in mice um, binobular uh, eggs, so mature two two mature eggs inside the same zone, believe that, mm-hmm. and then you fertilize them so you get fraternal twins. Um, and what mm-hmm. happens is they make they fuse into a single single twin. A chimera. A chimera. Wow. And in fact, when we make chimeras in the laboratory, we do it exactly that way. We take early embryos, dissociate their cells, Mm -hmm. put them all back together again, and then you get a single individual coming out of of those Mm -hmm. fused early, early Mm -hmm. embryonic cells. Um, And this actually happens also, you know, in the wild, as you say. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, We do get chimeric humans, um, sometimes even paternal, you know, a male and a female twin who uh, who fuse to produce one chimeric individual who has 50% male cells and 50% female cells. So that and many other lines of evidence, um, and and the fact that the negative evidence of never observed twinning of the two cell stage actually happened. Yeah. all strongly suggest that even if, for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, the first two cells decided they wanted to go off independently of each other and yeah. make their own embryonic trajectories, they would they would be an elephant. Because they're confined inside that. In the zone, yeah. they, would, yeah. they would just... 
the, tendency, the tendency is toward fusion. The tendency right. is not toward fission. Right. And especially yeah. because at, at um, about the 16-cell stage, there's a, a change in the property of the early cells of the embryo that requires them to adhere to each other much more tightly. Oh, okay. So this process is called compaction. And you can actually see it happen if you watch mm-hmm. a movie. You know, you can start out with something that looks kind of like a mulberry and then it all just clumps back into a, a big clump. Mm-hmm. And the biologic function of this to make to the logical argument is mm. that um, you establish tight junctions among all of the cells of the early embryo and that allows for unidirectional fluid transport into the inside. Okay. So so now this little clump of cells blows up into into a blastocyst, mm-hmm. you know, sort of this fluid the soccer ball. Yeah. And allows for the segregation of cells into those first two developmental pathways, the cells that are on the outside that are going to contribute yeah. to the placenta and the cells on the inside that are going to contribute to the body. Mm-hmm. So that process of compaction almost precludes the possibility of twinning until yeah. you get out of the zona. Yeah. Because yeah. because those cells, even if there were two embryos inside, yeah. once their set of properties change and they adhere to each other, yeah. they make the same way. They would, they would glue back together and be a non-chimeric chimera. Again. Right, they would yeah. be an identical chimera. They would, yeah, so, <laughs> we would still have the philosophical questions of what happened yeah. to the two souls and but I talk about chimeras in my book too. So. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely make sure to put both of those, list those in the, uh, in the liner notes. Yeah. yeah. And does that form part of some scientific uh, uh, basis uh, uh, for uh, arguments in the political realm that we know of as LGBTQ and multiple genders. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, oh man, I thought we were not going to talk about. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, uh, that's no, my, okay, there uh, are. There's, there's there the biological are. side of you know if you have a male female chimera, how does that manifest in terms of their phenotype once yes. they're. Uh, it depends in part on the ratio of, of cells mm-hmm. that are male and female. Yeah. So the broader question of is there a natural biological basis for um, people's different kinds of gender identities? Uh, there's a very small population of individuals who are what we call intersex disorders. So people who actually have either uh, genetically com- uh, compound sexual identities, so they might they might have um, translocation of the Y chromosome to the X chromosome, and so partially male female genotype, um, or many many other variations on that thing. They may be hormonally intersex, so they might have normal male genetic sex, for example, and um, a, a, a fairly well-known intersex disorder is called androgen insensitivity where, mm-hmm. where you have normal male sex, genetic sex, so your XY, normal number of chromosomes, everything is normal on the genetic side, but uh, you make normal amounts of hormones, but uh, you have a mutation in the receptor for those hormones, for the male hormones, and so your body is insensitive to the production of male hormones. Wow. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, you develop as female. Right. Wow. So these are women that, that you know, look rel- almost completely normal women, yeah. um, but they have testicles and a genetic sex of, of, of a man. Wow. 
they have testicles embedded in their Yeah, the testicles abdomen. don't descend. Yeah. So they usually have to have them surgically removed because there's a high chance of um, cancer. Testicular cancer. Oh, cancer at high temperatures, so at body temperature. So, yeah. Which is exactly why testicles not really live where they do. Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> Reasons for all of these things. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's so bizarre. That's, yeah, that's so, a strange so little but, detail. Yeah. But, so there, but there, and then many, 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 many variations on this thing. So there are, there are individuals who actually do have ambiguous sexual identity um, mm-hmm. or conflicting because, because development of um, normal um, sexual anatomy is a really, really complicated. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the medical students is always the most challenging set of lectures that we do with human human development because mm-hmm. you have your genetic sex, you have your hormonal sex. So if you are genetically female but you have male hormones for a variety of reasons that can happen, you develop the male. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, your phenotypic sex, so what you look like on the outside, which has to do with a different set of hormones. Oh, yeah. So, um, so any three of those, any one of those three components can be in disagreement with the others, yeah. and then throw into the possibility that chimeras can exist in the people are mixed yeah. with male and female cells. Um, mosaics can exist where, uh, you know, if you have a normal male embryo, uh, and you normally when you divide every cell gets exactly the same kind of chromosomes, but if you make a mistake early yeah. on in development, yeah. and one cell of the two that are produced from the cell division gets both Y chromosomes, then you would have a 45X mm-hmm. remaining cell. That's a female cell uh-huh, with yeah. Turner syndrome. And you'd have 47XYY, which is in the other, which is Edward syndrome. Edward syndrome, not Klein yeah, filter. No, yeah. I forget what <laughs> yeah, There's too many of them. There are too yeah. many of them, yeah. I forget them. Yeah. Um, and they're completely arbitrary, just like mineral names yeah, some are. Guy who, <laughs> some guy who discovered this the first time. Yeah. But so, and then half of the, so half of the cells would be normally genetic male cells, half of them would be male cells with natural white chromosome, and a quarter and a quarter would be abnormal female cells with no second X. So that person would be a mix of genetic cell types, but if they are all from themselves, they didn't arise from fusion with somebody else. Right. Right. Wow. So there are lots of ways that you can get intersex disorders, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people who have a gender disorder, gender different, you know, range of gender identifications, mm-hmm. um, are people who are physically completely normal. Mm-hmm. Now, all three of those genetic, hormonal, and exterior are, are, are they're in, yeah, yeah. Those, those are in agreement. It's a psychological, that's it's a different question. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A very, very different question. So, you know, whether there's then a biological basis to that psychological yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, perspective, that's, yeah. that I think is, we're still out, the jury is still out on that one. Yeah. yeah. And the atmosphere that we live in is not conducive to studying that with a disinterested quest for the actual Facts, I can hardly imagine. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's 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 a curious thing whether or not um, the LGBTQ population would see that as would endorse that kind of a study or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be for many many years. For example, there was a push to find the gay gene, you know, right. something that that allowed yeah. um, homosexual individuals to, to say, "Well, look, I was just born this way. It's, yeah. it's genetic." Yeah. The community has kind of moved against that now, and mm-hmm. because they don't want to believe it's deterministic, they want to believe that gender is fluid and people can pick whoever they want. And yeah. you know, this it really has nothing to do with biology. It's right. people are free to, to right. have whatever orientation they like, and 
Um, How dare you tell me that biology is destiny? Right. <laughs> kind of like that, yes. Uh, yeah. And I think that's much more the dominant view right now, that there's much less of a push to try to find a biological basis for people's people orientations and, and identities than just simply accepting that they exist. Yeah. And I have a right to have it if that's what I want. Right. 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 Well, yeah. well, I have a right to have it without consequence X, Y, or Z, and with support P, Q, and R. <laughs> We've got kind of far afield on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. I mean, you could. We, we have been here for you know an hour and a half. You know, you've, been, you've been very indulgent of, uh, of letting us uh, continue to ask questions and, and extend the uh, yeah. It will, it will always be a red letter day for the reasons I mentioned in terms of you know I, I learned how a- identical twinning actually works today. Yeah, yeah. That that uh, that really I, I'm still kind my, of reeling from that. That is my that is my argument. I, I, I'm not sure if you would agree, uh-huh. but I think I think it's a very sustainable argument. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think it actually solves a lot of the philosophical problems. Mm-hmm. Um, because because at that point, at that late of a stage, you know, say day five, when I think. You know, four or five when most winning happens, uh, or all. Um, mm-hmm. You've clearly established yourself as an organism, you know, as a as a developing yeah. human yeah. that's moving towards a greater stage of maturation. Yeah. And then what happens when the embryo splits at that point mm-hmm. is is um, regeneration. Yeah. And, uh, we are very good at repairing ourselves yeah. from injury, and so you get a catastrophic injury, you lose half of your body, and you replace it. Yeah. And the fact that each of the house does this right. is is where people's brain starts bending. Okay, so who's the original twin? And, yeah. But if you simplify the question, if you if you split an embryo in half and you throw away one half, yeah. and watch what happens to the surviving half. The surviving half acts like any organism acts when it's wounded. It repairs itself. So it yeah. tries to reestablish the original number of cells that are there in each of the various parts of the embryo at that stage mm-hmm. of development. It, it heals itself, you know, it reseals back into a ball. And if you watch the development of this half embryo compared to unsplit sibling controls mm-hmm. in an animal model, it advances exactly in synchrony with the unsplit twin. So there's not even a pause. It just keeps running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it keeps doing exactly what it was doing before you split it. Wow. And it's just half the size. Yeah. And that argument to me, or that observation, would very strongly support the conclusion that you have a whole embryo, then you have a damaged embryo, and then you have a regenerated, uh, a healed yeah. embryo. Yeah. And it's the same embryo because it started along this process at spermic fusion. Yeah. It set up all the things that it's doing now, and it continues doing them without without any perceptible pause. So, my conclusion from that would be. Splitting an embryo at that stage constitutes an injury, and the embryo regenerates, recovers from that injury, but it's the same individual throughout that entire process. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about the other half? <laughs> right. yeah. Now, the status of the other half, the status of the first half we just considered, is yeah. in no way dependent upon the as of yet undetermined status of the second half, but right. either way. I mean, logically, they're completely separate. Yeah. So now when we turn to the consideration of the second half, there's also no evidence that... that the original embryo died. All we're left with is the challenge of knowing which of those two twins is the original and which is the newly generated sibling. And the fact that we can generate a sibling at that stage seems unfamiliar to us, but it's 
well within the patents and biology and many, many, many species. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. asexual reproduction. You can oh, yeah. chop yeah. an earthworm in half and you get two other ones yeah. that are genetically identical to each other because both of them heals itself and continues on. And no one would argue that there are two. That, that that single earthworm is not an individual. I mean, right. <laughs> you know, or that there's somehow two earthworms packed inside of one. And right. Just right. because yeah. it could get cut yeah. by my shovel and I'm gardening. Right. right. Yeah. So the same thing is true of us. And I think I think that the most reasonable interpretation of twins is that one of the twins is the original. One of them is a newly generated um, individual that comes into existence at that moment. Yeah. Well, definitely, I will definitely be uh, again, like I said, with my with my uh, <laughs> intrinsic interest in the subjects for understanding my own uh, history. Definitely be looking <laughs> into that book. So, um, great. I think we should look back. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Cut that there. We appreciate yeah. it. That, that's uh, that's probably three episodes worth of material there. So that's, that's a wealth of. Uh, <laughs> Well, have fun. We, we, we don't trick, uh, guests. I don't. I think it's. I think it's the first time we've 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 done that. But, well, um, it's the kind of thing that just you know once you get started, it's like, yeah, then there's yeah. this, and then there's this. Yeah. But with this white balance, is just so fascinating because yeah. it is to some extent self exploration. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, one of the fields of science where you're really asking questions about your own nature, about who you are. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think I think that that helps people. You know, whenever there's a book, you know, I, I must say, anyone who has twinning in their background is always more interested in twinning. They're always more interested in twinning, yes, yes. Then you can else. identify that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll read it and then I'll send it to Katie and Christy because uh, they will probably, yeah. Yeah, it should, uh, you know, I wrote the book, I'm hoping for, you know, kind of the educated non-scientists. Um, yeah. You know, it's you, you gotta you gotta be a little fearless and be willing to. Okay, I didn't understand that word, but I'm just gonna flip over. Yeah. There is a gloss right in the back. Yeah, that's <laughs> what those are for. That's what those are for. Uh, and this non-scientist will read the one where the philosophers in dialogue. Oh, that, yeah. that most most assuredly that yeah. one too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, if that book is worth purchasing just for that first chapter that really goes yeah. through how and what is it and what does yeah. it mean and, and tries to yeah. explain why. This isn't just a made-up idea, but if we don't have this, we can't do science. You know, we really cannot. If intrinsically, scientists understand it. They don't. They don't recognize it, and they do call it up as focus. And, you know, right. right. Um, but but it, it actually is necessary for us to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And you can either have it out consciously in front of you and, and you know be able to refer to it when you're in difficult situations, or you can just have it unconsciously in the background and stumble through and, and then to... criticize anybody who, who actually has a better understanding than you do. Right? Yeah, always always that. That's <laughs> that's is. human nature in a nutshell. Well okay. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. All right. All right. Well thank you, thank you so much. Very, very welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, or it made you think, please subscribe to That So Second Millennium via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your podcast service of choice.